On May 19th of this year, 45-year-old Michael Lewis had back surgery at St. Francis Hospital in Tulsa. He was released later that week. On Tuesday of this week, Michael Lewis went to go see the surgeon complaining about pain. On Wednesday, not getting the information or the things that he wanted, he entered St. Francis Hospital this Wednesday and took his anger out on his doctor and three other medical workers that stood in his way and then finally on himself. These past few weeks, you have to be under a rock not to realize what has gone on in our nation. News of violence throughout the United States from Tulsa to Buffalo to Texas to Wisconsin. The news is all over the place. Whether you are on social media, hear from neighbors or friends, it seems what many people are talking about. And the question that people ask is, what are we to do? Red flag laws, mental health funding, gun age restrictions. There are plenty of opinions to go around. How is it going to get better? What is the solution to this problem? What law is going to resolve what is happening in our nation. I share the story of Michael Lewis not to shock you, not to scare you, but maybe that we might see that there is a solution to this problem. There is a greater law that addresses the problems that we're seeing in our society in our schools, in our families, in people's hearts and minds. The problem is, the answer that we're going to give these ten laws seem to be taboo in our current culture. They've been removed from the regular vernacular of the West. They even seem to be downplayed in the church talked about it earlier this morning, but in the history of the church, these ten laws used to be memorized, studied, catechized, understood, talked about. But now only 15% of Americans can name half of them. 15% of Americans can name half of these laws. Could this greater law, the Ten Commandments, could they have been the solution to help Michael Lewis in the situations going on in our nation? Why do we need the Ten Commandments? Why do we need to study them? I'm going to make the argument today 
that the Ten Commandments need to be studied because they reveal our need. They show us what is good. And when we study them, we will see the beauty of their fulfillment. Well, let's look together, shall we, in God's Word? In the preface or the preamble of the Ten Commandments from Deuteronomy. We're going to look a little bit in chapter 4 and then chapter 5. Please pay attention as we look at God's Word. Then the Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire. You heard the sound of words, but saw no form. There was only a voice. And he declared to you his covenant, which commanded you to perform, that is, the Ten Commandments. And he wrote them on two tablets of stone. And the Lord commanded me at that time to teach you statutes and rules, that you might do them in the land that you are going over to possess. To you it was shown that you might know that the Lord is God. There is no other besides him. Out of heaven he let you hear his voice, that he might discipline you. And on earth he let you see his great fire, and you heard his words out of the midst of the fire. And because he loved your fathers and chose their offspring after them and brought you out of Egypt with his own presence by his great power, driving out before you nations greater and mightier than you to bring you in, to give you their land for an inheritance. As it is this day, know therefore today and lay it to your heart that the Lord is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath. There is no other. Therefore you shall keep his statutes and his commandments, which I command you today, that it may go well with you and with your children after you, that you may prolong your days in the land that the Lord your God is giving you for all time. And Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and the rules that I speak in your hearing today, and you shall learn them and be careful to do them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us in Horeb. Not with our fathers did the Lord make this covenant, but with us, who are all of us here alive today. The Lord spoke with you face to face at the mountain, out of the midst of the fire, while I stood between the Lord and you at that time to declare to you the word of the Lord. For you were afraid because of the fire, and you did not go up into the mountain. The word of the Lord. Well, this summer we're going through a new series, the Ten Commandments. And we'll be doing it for 13 weeks, an introduction, then the, each of the Ten Commandments, and then two weeks of conclusion. So you've come at a good time as we start. If you didn't know this, we at Emmaus Road, in the fall, we go through Old Testament books. And we alternate between what we say the genres of Scripture. So we alternate between Old Testament narrative, which would be like 1 Kings, 1 Samuel, Joshua, Judges, and then the prophetic books. The prophetic books would be like Hosea or Amos or Isaiah or Jeremiah. And then in the spring, we go through the New Testament. In the New Testament, we alternate between the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, 
And then the epistles, which are these letters, like 2 Corinthians, like we just went through. And then in the summer, what we've done through our history as a church, we've gone through wisdom literature, like Proverbs, the Psalms, Song of Songs, Ecclesiastes, Job. And then we've done apocalyptic literature, Revelation. And now, since we've gone through all of those, I thought we'd go to a genre we have not done yet. The genre of the law. There's something great about the Bible in this sense, that it gives us kind of different lenses to look at God's story. I think the Bible is telling one story of God's rescue plan for humanity. And through these different genres and lenses, we get different angles of this rescue plan. It's like watching different types of movie genres. Sometimes you get a documentary, sometimes you get romance, sometimes action, sometimes suspense. And just like we are complex and like different angles, the Bible be able to reach us in different ways as we are learners and complex as the human person. But today, the lens we're going to get it through, or this summer, is the law. And that might sound really boring. It might sound like you're going to watch a training video at work. That's the kind of genre it is. Well, we're going to try to make it exciting for you. But I think we need to explain first what we mean by the law. Now, I don't do this every week. As we start a new series, I need to give time to explain the genre that we're in, to set the scene so you know what's going on. So it's going to be a little bit longer of explanation. It might seem a little lecture-esque. Please bear with me as I explain that to you this morning. What do we mean by the law? It can have very different meanings when we talk about it from the Bible. Could we mean the 613 statutes that are in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy that make up the law? Or do we mean by the law, the books of the law, like the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible? Or do we mean all of the Old Testament? In the New Testament, when they referred to the law, they were referring many times to the whole Old Testament. I think what we're trying to show this summer is that the law is written in the narrative of God's personal rescue for his people within the context of this, what's called the covenant. This promise made between Israel and God, this relationship. And today we're seeing we haven't even gotten to any of the Ten Commandments, what we might say is the law, but this still in the preamble, in the narrative of how the law is revealed, is still the law. Now, we are going to look at the law specifically in the Ten Commandments. Probably the best summation of the law is found in the Ten Commandments. It can be found in two places in the Bible. Well, it's actually all over the Bible, two specific places in the Pentateuch. In Exodus 20, it's at the front of the worship guide, Mount Sinai, think Charlton Heston, all those kind of things, the classic way, you know, Moses coming off the mountain with the tablets. 
That's Exodus 20. And then we see it also in the book of Deuteronomy. And that's where we're going to look at the Ten Commandments this summer out of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy means second law or to be repeated. So what's happening here is as Israel came out of Egypt, out of slavery, that was Exodus 20 law. In Deuteronomy 5, it's a retelling, a repeating of the law as Israel has spent 40 years in the wilderness and they're about to go into the land. So this is Moses repeating the law to the Israelites. The Decalogue, meaning 10 words. All this background helps maybe explain why should we do this? Why is this relevant and applicable to us today? I hear this a lot from people as we talk about the law in Christianity. And maybe I say something about Christian sexual ethics. And they say, why should we follow that law of sexual ethics when in the Old Testament it says if you wear different types of fabric, that is breaking the law. Why hold to that law and not this other law? Well, when people are referring to that wearing different types of fabrics, they're referring to the 613 statutes that you would find in parts of the Pentateuch. They make up the civil law, which was for the nation state of Israel, minor and major crimes and issues. This was how to keep together the nation state of Israel. That's one aspect of those 613 statutes. The other is the ceremonial law, the worship practices, the cleansing rites, the sacrifices that are part of the cultic religion of Israel. I don't use cultic pejoratively, just saying that is part of the religion of Israel. Now, we live in the New Covenant and we would say that those 613 statutes have been fulfilled through Christ. We no longer are the nation state of Israel. Instead, we are the church, the new Israel. And the ceremonial law, we read Hebrews, has been fulfilled in Christ, that he is the Paschal Lamb, that he is the one that has cleansed us. They have been fulfilled in Christ, that those 613 statutes do not need to be lived out anymore because they have been fulfilled in Christ. Christ. But that leads us back to the question of these Ten Commandments, the moral law. I would argue that the heart of all those 613 statutes are found in the Ten Commandments. For example, one of the statutes is that you need to have a fence around the second floor, the top of your house. And the reason that law was in Israel is to make sure that it protected anyone, your neighbor or someone, from falling off the roof. That's why you had to have that fence around the house. See, the greater aspect of the law was care for neighbor. And that kind of moral law, heart of the law, is found in the Ten Commandments. Usually we separate the Ten Commandments through church history into two tables. Commandments 1 through 4, 
no other God, no idols, misuse of the name of God, Sabbath. Those are referring to our relationship with God, the vertical. And then the second table of the law, which are commandments 5 through 10, obeying parents, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false testimony, do not covet. That is relating to the horizontal relationship with others, the second table of the law. Now, when I say vertical and then horizontal, that might sound very familiar to you. That when people ask Jesus, what is the law? What is the summation of the law? He said, the summation of the law is found in this, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, strength, soul, and mind, the vertical. And then to love your neighbor as yourself, the horizontal. The first table, the second table. So one great way to look at the law is to look at it in these numbers. 613, 10, and 2. But it does beg the question, do we have to abide by the Ten Commandments? We see in the New Testament the Ten Commandments are repeated. The Sermon on the Mount... Romans throughout the New Testament, that they are not absolute, obsolete. No, Christ came, like he said, not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Again, Dan, thank you for the background. Thank you for all that stuff. But how is a bunch of laws written 3,000 years ago matter to me today? I thought we were past these rules. What makes these Ten Commandments so special and so unique? Well, let's answer those questions that you might have this morning. First, if you've taken an ancient history class, maybe in college or high school or wherever it might be, you might have realized that these are not the first written laws in human history. The laws of Hammurabi by the Babylonians, the, la the laws of Eshnuna by the Akkadians. These laws came before the Hebrews and the Ten Commandments. These laws are written by kings to their subjects, their vassals, and it was the same covenant relationship. You abide by these laws, my subjects, and it will go well for you. If you do not, there will be punishment. But good ancient historians would say there is something unique about the Hebrew law. It does not originate from a king, but it originates from Yahweh, an eternal creator says he's one God that's created all of humanity. That says that these laws are universal. They govern all of humanity. And they are divine revelation coming from him. And unlike the Babylonians and the Akkadians, there was individual accountability for wrongdoing. For example, in Babylonian law, if you killed someone's child, the consequence would be 
that your own child would be killed. But instead, in the Old Testament, in the Decalogue, these ones written on stone, you are accountable for anyone's death, whether you are a woman or a slave or a child is killed. You are accountable. You see, this law from the Hebrews, made by Yahweh, created by Yahweh, they are not subjective rules for certain tribes. They are written by the one and only God who governs all people throughout all time. And here's the thing, unlike the other laws of the other nations around Israel at that time, the laws start about how we obey God. It starts with how we obey Him first, the first table of the law, and then how that love for God then flows out to love for others. And also the law reveals the character of Yahweh, of the Lord. He is worthy of worship. There is one God. He is worthy of our time, the Sabbath. He cares for our rest. He cares about life. He cares about our possessions. He cares about our bodies and what we do with them. The very character of God is wrapped in to the Ten Commandments. See, the Ten Commandments would argue are an owner's manual for humanity. How does humanity run well? Play the scenario out with me. Let's say I decide to let you come ride with me in my theoretical new BMW. Okay, I don't have a BMW, just so you know. But let's say I got one, okay? That would be a miracle. Um, and I'm riding in the BMW, and guess what? The gas is running out, and I'm wondering, what should we put in my new BMW? And you, being the smart person you are, open the glove box and pull out the owner's manual. And you say, maybe we should read what the owner's manual says we put in your Beamer. And I say, we don't need that. And I pull up to the gas station, and I put in some diesel in that bad boy. How do you think that would go for the Beamer? I think most of them are unleaded, so that would not go well. See, the law shows us something outside of ourselves and how we are to live. Here is a God that created us and made us and knows us better than we know ourselves and what we need to operate. The idea that we throw that out, the God that created us, means it might not go well for us. We're in a really unique time of Western history. The ethos that kind of ran Western history through the past 300, 500 years has been the Ten Commandments. We can debate whether that's good or bad for Christianity. 
that civil religion. I'd love to have a discussion about that. But now we are getting past that point in Western civilization. There are new principles and laws that seem to govern our behavior. It seems to be based on our subjectivity. What I feel that is good in my own life. What makes me feel good. What helps my own self-expressionism. I found it very interesting. One question that I ask a lot of times with people, both Christians and non-Christians, I ask this question a lot. Is there any authority above you? I find that most people in our culture would say, the only authority is my, myself. What I think is right. And what happens is, when any rule that might make your life uncomfortable or painful or difficult starts to be imposed upon you, you discard it. Let's take this to Michael Lewis. This man that who had the back surgery and then wanted his pain taken away by his doctor. And for some reason, this orthopedic surgeon on Tuesday did not give him the pain medication that he wanted. And then he decided, well, the way that I'm going to deal with this is to kill my doctor and anyone else that gets in my way. What if he actually believed there was a law greater than himself? That even though he was in pain, there was a God that cared for him and loved him and knew what was best for him. That as much anger that he had towards his doctor, that he had a God that said, you shall not kill. And he said, you know what's more important? It's more important is not what I want, my own pain, but what the creator of the universe wants for me, that he might know better than I do. You know, that kind of thinking is revolutionary in our age. That there is a God that is good, and we in our thinking are not. And that he knows better than we do. I was listening to Ken Hughes on the Ten Commandments. If you don't know who Ken Hughes is, he used to be the pastor of Wheaton, Wheaton College Church in Wheaton, Illinois. If you don't know Wheaton, Illinois, it's home of Wheaton College. We have some Wheaton College graduates here. The Harvard of evangelical schools, right? As they would say, right? And here is what Kent Hughes said. And it just pierced my soul. The reason we have so many unsaved evangelicals, not saying unsaved Christians, unsaved evangelicals, is because we have been feeding in evangelical churches this message. Christ is the answer to you living a more self-actualized life. A better life. 
the good life. Rather than telling people in our churches that we are sinners and we need to turn and repent. We have gotten rid of the law in the church. And in that, we have gotten rid of where we are at and who God is in his holiness. The law is a mirror. And when we look in the mirror, we see a holy God. And we see where we fall short. The law shows us our need. I find it mind-blowing that the first time I ever went to a church where we confessed our sins every week is when I came into the Presbyterian church. I never did that. I said, why are they doing this? And people that come to our church and we do a confession of sin, why are you talking about sin? And every week? Are you guys crazy? That's the way to drive people away. No, that's the way to drive people to God. To know that we have fallen short and we need him and he is the solution to our problems. We need the Ten Commandments to show us our need. Well, even before we get to the Ten Commandments, we haven't even gotten there. It's all this preamble. We talked about it earlier this morning in the catechism. The thing is, it gives us the idea that this Ten Commandments is enveloped in the story of God's deliverance. Look at verse 37 from chapter 4. And because he loved your fathers and chose their offspring after them and brought you out of Egypt with his own presence by his great power, driving out before you nations greater and mightier than you to bring you in, to give you their land for an inheritance as it is this day. Know therefore today and lay it to your heart that the Lord is God in heaven above. Before we get to the law, we are told the story of God's deliverance of Israel. I would argue it's actually part of the Ten Commandments in the law, the story of his deliverance. You see, Israel, they were slaves, and then God delivered them from slavery, and then gave them the law to show them it can be different than how you lived in Egypt. This is how you should live so that you would not be in slavery. I would argue the law starts with the gospel. The commandments, the Ten Commandments, follow the gospel of undeserved deliverance. God's deliverance of the Israelites from Egypt. But then we see what happened even before Moses came down from Mount Sinai. Sinai, they had already made idols. And then they had to wander for 40 years. And then, before they enter the land, 40 years later, the law is repeated. And we see Israel, if we read on in Joshua and Judges, how bad it gets. You might have thought that story of Michael Lewis was harsh. Why would you share that in the church? Read Judges. You want to read how ugly it gets? 
Anyone that says to me, man, why do you tell harsh stories? You haven't read the Bible. It is ugly. What God is saying is that I delivered you first. I have given you my grace first. And this law is how to live in that freedom. To live in that grace. That's a hard sell. It might be a hard sell for you. When you talk about the law, and we talk about the law this summer, the law isn't giving me freedom. It restricts me. The law isn't where I find liberty. I find liberty from being free from all constraints. I want to make this argument to you. That if you think that you are living in liberty, you are lying to yourself. If you think, I have all constraints away from me, you are lying to yourself. We all serve somebody, as Bob Dylan would say. Whether we admit it or not, we are slaves to something. The law actually frees us from that enslavement. We're going to, as we go through the Ten Commands, we're going to see that the Ten Commands do not just deny something, but they also affirm something. When it says no other gods, it affirms that there is one good God. When it says do not murder, it also is affirming a love for life. When it says, do not commit adultery, it says there is true beauty in covenant relationships. When it says, do not covet what your neighbor has, it says there is freedom in contentment. See, the law frees us to who we were created to be. It frees us from bitterness and anger towards others that might consume us. It frees us from desire from what other people have to find contentment in God. The law, find, we can find liberty, can have freedom. We sang from Psalm 19 earlier. I would hope, and my hope is for our whole congregation, after all these weeks studying the Ten Commandments, that you might be able to recite Psalm 19 and believe it. Psalm 19 says this, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord are pure, enlightening the eyes. The law shows us what is good. The law is good and it gives us true freedom and joy. Do you see that? The law shows us our need. The law shows us what is good. And lastly, 
when we study the law, we see the beauty of its fulfillment. I'm going to admit, when I read Deuteronomy 5, verses 1 through 5, I'm perplexed. Again, it's a retelling of the commandments coming to the people of Israel 40 years later before they're going to enter the land retold by Moses. And the reason I'm perplexed is because it says like this in verse 3, Not with our fathers did the Lord make this covenant, but with us, who are all of us here alive today. The Lord spoke with you face to face at the mountain out of the midst of fire. Like the reason I'm confused is the Lord did make the covenant with these people's fathers. That the Lord actually didn't speak face to face with them in the plains of Moab, but with the people of Israel at Sinai. What is going on here? Well, many commentators who I agree with would say this. This is a rhetorical device by Moses to help the people that are hearing it being retold that the law is not something of the past, but it is something for you now. Just as that experience was happening all the way back then, the experience is actually being lived with you right now. Just as what was true at Mount Sinai is also true with you fully right now as you're about to enter the land. And I think that plays well with us now. The law is before us right now. It is true for us right now. I love this cartoon. There's a cartoon of Moses holding up the tablets. And underneath it says, these are great. From now on, nobody will have trouble distinguishing right from wrong. Oh, how we wish that was true. There's a couple wrong approaches we can take to this study of the Ten Commandments this summer. One wrong approach is this. Oh, do not murder? Check. Do not commit adultery? Check. Do not steal? Check. I'm okay. I'm doing great on these things. And we're going to go through these, and some of the passages that we do are just going to be one verse, only a few words. And we're thinking, oh, it's so short. But we're going to see that with these laws, they are so much deeper than we realize. And then when we see how Jesus unpacks the law and the Sermon on the Mount in other places, how far it goes. Do not murder is so much deeper. Do we hate someone? Do not commit adultery. How do we look at the opposite sex? It goes so much deeper than we realize even into our hearts. So one wrong approach is not realizing how much work needs to be done on us through the Ten Commandments. The other wrong approach is this. I've been saved. 
I don't need the law anymore. I live under grace, which we all celebrate. So because I live under grace, who needs the law? I don't need it. It's the story of a student of Martin Luther. And this is what the student said to Martin Luther. If, you, if what you are saying is true, meaning we are saved by grace alone, the student said, then we may live as we want. And this is what Martha, Martin Luther said in reply to the student. Yes. Now what do you want? That is a great question for you, Christian. Now what do you want? Knowing that Christ has died for you. He has taken the punishment of sin upon you. That you now live under freedom and grace. That you live with the Holy Spirit living in you. How do you now want to live? If you live by what he's commanded in the Ten Commandments, then you live in the freedom that he has offered to you in the gospel. Remember, Jesus did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Jesus did not obscure the law. Instead, as he teaches, he becomes the perfect interpreter of the law. As he lives, we see the way that he lives the law perfectly. So many in our culture right now are postulating. We need a law for this. We need funds for this. This will help society. This will help society. And there is so much confusion. But I tell you, when we look at the Ten Commandments, and then we look at the one that lived it out perfectly, there will be no confusion. We can see how it is lived out. We can see how we fall short. We can see its goodness. When we study the law, we see our failure. We see its goodness. When we study it, the light shines on it more brightly upon the perfect law, Jesus Christ. Let us shine that light upon the law so Christ would be seen more clearly. That we would see when we cling to him, we are united with him. We can live in the beauty of what it means to live in the law. That it would be upon our hearts. That the Holy Spirit would direct us at how to live in this way. That we would see that one has lived it perfectly for us. And that had given us the strength to live in it. So that our lives might have the aroma of Christ.